Hello everyone and welcome to Fathom. My name is Anizi and I'm your host. Here at Fathom, we believe that in order to lead a joy-filled and fulfilling life, one must have the courage to pursue that which they find meaningful. But how do you do that in our busy modern world where internal and external obstacles abound? Through conversations with guests who are experimenting with life and adulting relatively successfully, or courageously I should say, will bring raw and honest conversations that will hopefully add value to you, our listener. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in one more time and for riding with us on this journey. Um, so May is well underway, but in case you did not know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month globally, which is why I'm excited for today's conversation and today's guest. So Dixon Wutera has been working as a therapist at Lighthouse Rwanda for the past four years. And he works with children, adolescents, and adults. He utilizes cognitive behavior therapy to treat a range of psychological problems such as depression, stress, anxiety, addiction, and marital issues. And he went to the University of Rochester where he studied brain and cognitive sciences and neuropsychology. But um, I invited Dixon because he's one of those people that I enjoy talking to. He's brilliant. He loves talking about the mind. He brings the science into it, and he cares for his patients. So I'm really excited about today's conversation. We're going to talk about all things trauma, all things addiction, um, and better mental health, you know, how we can better take care of our mental health. So stay tuned, share this conversation with people that you care about, um, because I believe it's going to be very insightful. So let's get into it. Yeah. Hello, Dixon. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Anizi. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. a little surprised, though, because I thought I was here to promote my new album. Oh, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> are you an artist and I don't know? Mm -hmm. Are you for real? I'm joking. No, now. okay. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, tone deaf, actually. Okay. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, mm. I wanted to start by quickly sharing with my audience how I know you, right? Yeah. Um, we met in 2018. Do you remember? Mm -hmm. It's been five years. I remember the day. <laughs> it was on a good afternoon. <laughs> it was on the evening, probably. On a Monday. Actually, it was on a Monday evening. Yeah. That's actually true. Mm -hmm. Good memory. Yeah. Um, and we were both doing a six-month counseling course with Lighthouse Counseling. Shout out to Kelly Johnson-Gahaya for setting up Lighthouse and for putting together that course it was super interesting it's one it was one of those things that um i mean for me personally as much as i feel like i had started a journey of self-discovery and self-awareness i don't think i had delved into it like that yeah. you know before that class mm. um and during the six months you remember how they used to have us play different roles yeah like you would be a therapist and one person would be a client and yeah. then you would like switch that's what um, yeah. yeah and then i think i don't think you and i were paired but one of we one, were paired once. we were paired once, once just once yeah, just once yes i, I think, believe i was your therapist yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i think on one of those days my quote-unquote therapist wasn't there mm. 
and we were paired. Yeah. And I still remember that. Yeah. We were sitting outside. In the it dark. was dark. Yeah. It was in the parking lot. Yeah. And I shared my whole life, basically. So yeah, Dixon is amazing. He's a good listener. He's a good therapist, clearly. Um, but yeah, that is how we met. So I'm eager to actually get to know him a little bit more. But I feel like yeah, over the years we've always like had this, you know, incredible conversations about about mental health, about the mind, about meditation, about belief, right? Yeah, I think belief. Yeah. Work-life balance. Work-life balance, <laughs> making decisions. Yeah, yeah. we've talked about so, all kinds of stuff. And yeah. I do remember that evening. Yeah. And I remember, I think I was actually nervous. You were? I think so. Why? I'm trying to remember why I felt nervous, but I think I was. I think it was a time where I hadn't really practiced yeah. doing that to with people yeah. for a while. I just knew that I loved it. I mean, everybody in the class, I feel yeah, like, yeah. if you're there, you probably value that kind of work. Mm. Um, but I had never really worked with a, an adult. I think yeah. I had worked with had, kids. Yeah, with kids or younger yeah. people. And it wasn't, yeah. yeah. So, but it was, it was a really beautiful night, I remember. Yeah. yeah. I actually feel like um, mm. one of the reasons I, I think I did not go down that path yeah. of like becoming a counselor mm. was as a result of feedback actually I got from that class. You know, I'm not oh. saying like that was like final, yeah. but um, I remember like a lot of people that I used to be paired with, yeah. they would say like, oh, you know, like you're very rational. Like, yeah. like the, you, I basically would help them like process things, hmm. but not make them feel heard or feel, you know, mm. I wonder. held. It was more like, yeah, like we speak on like a head level. Mm. But you don't necessarily like empathize or like feel. Do you believe that to be true? I think back then I was a little bit more uncomfortable with feelings than I am now. Oh, so I sure. think my my tendency to just like intellectualize everything was because I was like, uh, I don't want to go there. Mm -hmm. But I understand, you know, in my head what you're going through. Yeah. And this is what I think, you know, will be best. And I would ask all the right questions, but I don't think I was fully present with the people that I was talking to, you know, or comfortable with my own feelings to like make someone else feel comfortable. So I don't know if it's still true to this day, but... Mm -hmm. um, I think at the time it was kind of um, a slap in the face, like, oh, you're not as good as you think you are <laughs> uh, <laughs> when it comes to these things. So. Were you very confident walking in? No, in, no nerves? Not, mm. No, no, but I had kind of, I had an interest, mm. you know? Um, I mean, actually, something that people maybe might not know. So one of my, I double majored in college and one of my majors was psychology. So because I'd kind of interacted with this material, because, like, I understood most of these concepts. Like, yeah, you know, I could, like, make sense of some of these things. I mm. thought that was going to translate into, like, the experience of sitting with someone. Nope. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't right? Not, it doesn't. Not at all. Mm. Yeah. So, so I think, yeah, it was a slap in the face because I was like, oh, like, being good at the concepts is different. Yeah. From being a good, like, listener and good therapist. And, like, experientially just giving someone a good healing experience yeah and you know 
people come to therapy because they're experiencing some sort of suffering, right? Yeah. So there's an issue and there's yeah. a problem they're trying to solve. But a lot of the times it's just the emotions like mm. that that need to be processed, that needs to be experienced or with someone else. Mm. Or um, Again, I hate the word, but, it, you know, holding space. Yeah. Um, I know it's kind of a buzzword now, mm. but it is a real thing mm. and you feel it in the moment. So... If someone feels like you're not necessarily holding the holding space the space for them, for them mm. then at that point, the therapy isn't quite um, effective. effective. Yeah. yeah, because even if they, even if you're able to identify the mm. issue, um, that experience is not. Mm. It doesn't quite have that corrective yes. emotional experience. There you go. Yeah, using uh, <laughs> uh, using the, the words. One of the words we. We, I think we taught, we got taught in that class. Yeah, it was the corrective yeah. emotional experience. Yes. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. quite correct that, and so yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. Mm. But having also been on the other side, mm. I I know what you mean. Like, so I know what people mean when they say I don't feel understood or heard or you know you're not holding space for me. Because mm. I've also been on the other side of it where you're sharing some deep things with someone or a therapist. And you just feel like, you know, like there's a recent experience I had where someone just kept bombarding me with questions. Yikes. And I was like, I'm just tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired from it's answering. It's like a yeah. yeah. I'm like, this yeah. is not, a, I just want, yeah, because also like, you know, the more he asked questions, the more I feel like, yeah, I will give you answers because I always have answers or because mm-hmm. I will, you know, I can always come up with answers. But I don't think it's helping me. No. Yeah. And like, again, the human brain, you can yeah. create a, an explanation for virtually anything. Yeah. doesn't mean it's true at all. Yeah. Um, and so you have to have a rhythm in the session mm-hmm. and you have to allow the person to really dig deep mm-hmm. and ask, not necessarily, it's not about the questions, it's mm-hmm. really, um, again, it's more like you're, you're creating a little map for the person mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm pulling things out of them instead mm. of like regurgitating stuff that mm. they stories well, narratives they tell themselves yeah, all the time mm. that's you know before we were doing this we we're meditating mm. right and like true. part mm. of what you see or experience or learn is mm. just how noisy your brain is true. when you're meditating you know mm. constantly being pushed in all kinds of directions with random thoughts mm. um your day memories mm. and so People do that all the time. They're very good at it. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of interrupt that process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so asking too many questions is not it. It's, yeah, it's not going to help. Definitely, yeah, yeah. doesn't work. Mm. But let's get into who you are a little bit more before we get into the mental health stuff. So I want to start by understanding, you know, where your interest in psychology and mental health began. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> dread that question. <laughs> but... um. um where do we start? Where do we start? Can we start from the beginning? Yeah, um, let's do it. So I was um, born in Uganda. I know it's, you know, quite the start, <laughs> but uh, I think it's, it's, it's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was born in Uganda, like most Rwandans, you know, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. parents had fled. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, so I was there in Kampala mm-hmm. for about five years. Okay. And then that's when my parents moved to Rwanda. Okay. Um, so like before that, I think my life was pretty... I feel like normal. Mm-hmm. I I have good memories of my first five years, mm-hmm. um, but then when we moved to Rwanda, mm. we were living with a lot of cousins, and okay. it was like a house of like I want to say like thirty people. It was a thir- ton. Wow. Yeah, I think we had a few families in Kampala, and mm-hmm. then when we moved, we all sort of lived together. I see. Yeah, in mm-hmm. one home. So you moved as a bigger as family. a big unit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I think we also, there were some cousins of ours or aunties of ours who were still in Rwanda and had, mm-hmm. were survivors. Mm-hmm. And so they were living mm-hmm. with us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I think I started noticing things that I okay. really couldn't make sense of or understand. Mm-hmm. Um, my, there was a lot of just trauma in the home because okay. we were living with survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we also moved back, I think like very soon after mm-hmm. the genocide. Um, so I think... Everybody, it was just a healing time. Everybody's like for surviving, yeah. yeah, surviving. Just, um, I think I had a lot of aunties who were definitely had PTSD, mm. um, who would behave in all kinds of ways, scream all mm. night. Um, but I never really understood what it was, and mm. also my parents were affected heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like they were distant all mm. of a sudden, mm. um, especially my mom, mm. um, and you know, my dad was also probably drinking heavily mm. um yeah so there was just like a lot of changes all mm. of a sudden mm. um and then of course at school you know trying to fit in i, I barely spoke in around i think mm. um so then trying to connect was also kind of difficult um and when you think about the kids at the time right imagine like they were all experiencing some version of what i was experiencing mm-hmm. too and then how you respond to it is going to be different so we had kids who were um i was definitely the more distant mm-hmm. kind of response mm-hmm. it was more like i uh, dissociated a little mm-hmm. um a just as a, a mechanism to understand what was happening mm-hmm. um but also as a protective measure like mm-hmm. i feel like my home is unsafe or mm. at least adults are not safe mm. because mm. Um, they just, I, I, I can't explain their behavior. Mm. Um, and so I had a hard time connecting with kids my age. Mm. Uh, and yeah. And so I kind of took on a role of like observer, mm-hmm. um, uh, just too young. So, you know, like part of being a child or being young at that age, you, sh- you should play. Yeah. You know, play Being is out a, and, yeah, play. a big yeah. part. I mm-hmm. never played any single sports. Oh, wow. None. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so like it was just, I was observing mm-hmm. and I was distant and it kind of created this kind of dissociative, cold mm-hmm. persona. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you're observing, it's like you're just, you're just like a sponge. You're, mm-hmm. you're picking up a lot, but then you're also not kind of building these like circuits of joy and connection and love and um, vulnerability. Those things are not, you don't have access to them because you're sort of on Mm. the sidelines. And also things like belonging becomes trickier, yeah, Mm. especially for a young child. Um, So then, you know, psychologists are Mm. very good observers. Mm. So that was already tools I was picking up Mm. at a pretty young age. Mm. Um, And then when I was, in high school, mm. um, you know, I, I never quite understood a lot of, like I said, a lot of my um, family, you know, and people. Mm. Again, I was always very just puzzled by things. And mm. I would always ask my parents or my friends and they would not have answers either. Mm. Um, but then when I was, um, I think in S4 or something, mm. or younger, um, my um, aunt died, mm-hmm. who was kind of like a second mom to mm. me. Um, she had a lot of mental illnesses. Mm. Um, looking back, now mm. I can identify some of it, mm. but mm. you know, it's all retrospective when yeah. I was young. Um, mm. um, so she died um, in a complicated way. Um, suicide, definitely. Um, and so that made it worse for me. I lost someone incredibly important mm. um, in my life, and mm. that just kind of made me 
think like, oh, I, my, my solution after that was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Mm. I'm just going to be a doctor and I'm going to make sure things like this don't happen. Mm. Um, and again, this is probably one of the few people in my life that I really, really loved and mm. felt loved by. Mm. Um, and so it was a, a deep loss, mm. but I didn't know how to process that. Yeah. It was kind of like she died. It's the, she died on Friday and I go back to school on Monday. Like nothing happened. Mm. Um, you did not really grieve. I didn't grieve her mm. at all. Mm. I remember the funeral was like a, it was like on a Sunday, I think, and we had school. So they were like, wow. um, you can't actually go to the funeral. So you're going to, oh, no. um, yeah, you're going to like have the mm. conversations at home, but you're not going to go to the funeral. Wow. And they also, I think, thought I would break down or something. Mm. They're like, let's just like mm. protect him. Um, but for me, that's sort of a, a thing I wish I had gone to. Yeah. I, I feel like I never quite said goodbye mm-hmm. to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah. That was a, a big trauma mm, for me, mm, unprocessed trauma. Mm, mm. Um, and then after that, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. It's my yeah. solution. Mm. But I, I didn't have the words of like, what is psychology? Like, yeah. I didn't know what that was. And mm. I thought it's just about being a doctor, being good at biology. So mm. I studied hard, mm. when, did MCB for nice. some of you Rwandans know what that mm. means. <laughs> yeah. Math, chemistry, yeah. biology. Math, yeah. chemistry, biology. I was mm. like, I'm just going to go to the University of Rwanda and like mm. work that stuff out. Mm. Um, but then... I ended up not doing that. I went to the U.S. instead mm. um, at the University of Rochester, like you mentioned earlier. Mm. And there I was also going to be pre-med. Mm. Um, so I took a lot of neuroscience bio classes, bio classes. Yeah. yeah. Um, to try to understand the brain, I think mm. I was like more going to that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I quickly realized just how different um, that world is. Like, mm. you know, I studied like studying psychology it Mm -hmm. took like a psych class because Mm -hmm. I was like oh this is gonna be like an easy class Mm -hmm. um because um that's what my American friends told me it's like oh psych is one of the easier ones you'll get an A and it will help your GPA (laughs) so I took psych 101 Mm -hmm. and I was like oh this is what I've been missing it's interesting this is interesting human behavior Mm -hmm. um I was just enthralled after that. I was mm. in love. Mm. Um, I started reading many, many books mm. on um, human behavior. Um, again, as a way to understand myself yeah. and as a way to understand what I had observed my whole life mm. that was puzzled, always puzzled me. Um, and also to understand that I grew up as a pretty depressed kid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you did was, not know what it was. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know mm. what it was. Um, and so after that, I started taking, th- I was going to therapy, mm-hmm. um, kind of, just trying to re- unlearn a lot of really, really unkind um, mm. um, beliefs about myself. Mm. And um, and also just, again, to make sense of my parents, my cousins, my aunties, my friends, myself. Mm. Um, and so kind of halfway through, I was like, okay, I know this is mm. um, it for me. I found the thing I really, really love. Mm. Um, And so when I graduated, I came home and, you know, been working at Lighthouse Rwanda, um, helping young people like myself, but also um, young adults and, um, yeah, older people. So Mm. that's kind of like Mm. a quick run through of what I would like to. No, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely sounds like it stems from your own story, you know, your childhood, your loss, you know, during your teenage years, you know, and yeah. also like your, you know, general interest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, how has it been? Because it sounds like, you know, your childhood was basically, you know, traumatic, right? Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm. How, because I mean, I know, mm-hmm. um, 
I don't know. Some I feel like childhood trauma. I think we're going to get into it. It's one of those things that I feel like it's kind of a lifelong undoing. Like mm-hmm. you, you don't just like undo it. Maybe you can. You know, I don't know. But um, I feel like for a lot of people, it's one of those things that it defines you, and then you fight that it doesn't. You know. So mm-hmm. so I'm curious to hear like your story when you were saying like. Uh, with your experience at school and your experience at home when you're like a young kid and how it kind of de- developed this this way of being, right? Yeah. Uh, for you to cope, like I think you used the word, you know, cold and yeah. like distant. Mm. Um, does it still manifest in your life today? And like, you know, what was the journey like, you know, to undo that? Yeah, um, it, it still manifests, especially if I'm I, I'm unhealthy for mm-hmm. whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, which can be triggered by stress or mm-hmm. um, all kinds of things, or really just like a personal issue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, I think, like you said, mm-hmm. early childhood trauma is sort of, to me, one of the more kind of kind of lifelong mm-hmm. things you have to deal with the whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, queer, uh, a, sh- a fair share amount of trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right, it's one of those things I constantly try to work on mm. and I've been working on. And the reason I think it's really hard to unlearn is because it's kind of like all you know. Yeah. You know, so like. It's very embedded and very old as well. Exactly. Yeah. It's mm. really embedded. It kind of shapes you in a mm. lot of ways. Mm. Um, and so it's just harder to, to remove. Mm. Um, I, like you said, like, do you identify? Like, uh, did you use the word identify? I forget. Um, oh. More like um, define. You yes. said define. Yes. Um, I think it is part of you. And yeah. I think a lot of people, once they figure it out, their mm. instinct is to distance themselves from yeah. it, you know, and to, to change it or to, to remove it. To remove it or yeah. to like at least or blame mm. um the people responsible mm, true, 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 true. and mm. be angry mm. um, and whenever they see it they get triggered you know mm. and they get angry or something like that and I think I had a, a time like that where I was distancing myself mm-hmm. I'm like okay I know what's wrong mm. I'm just gonna fix it and then you know stay away from mm. that kind of persona or uh, label mm. permanently mm. but you know now I'm like no I think this is just one of those things that are forever part of me mm. I will constantly thrive uh, or at least attempt to mm. catch myself when I'm slipping into those mm. kind of mm. narratives about myself or um, patterns of thinking or mm. behavior mm. that I know are associated with this kind of trauma that I have mm. um, and then always surround myself with people who can bring out kind of those corrective emotional experiences mm. you know mm. or can provide that for me or even um Behaviors or things that support it instead mm. of, you know, like there's a word I don't know what it, I think I don't know who coined it. It's called pain body. I can't remember. Do you know pain body? No, yeah, I yeah, yeah. Like pain bodies are kind of the, the like the early traumas, mm. what they elicit out of you. So mm. I have a specific kind of pain body caused by, um, you know, my experience. Mm. You know, and I developed it as a child mm. um, and it lives in me forever and I, there's certain things that can elicit it out of me mm. so personal triggers mm. or um, events mm. um, and mm. pain body kind of seeks more pain mm. uh, oh. it's only nourished by 
pain. So then, yeah. So Mm. then sometimes that's why you find that people who are abused seek out abusers, you Mm. know, and, you know. you want to continue to confirm. It's again, because it's all you know. You know that specific thing is familiar. So when you see it, even, Mm. even before you consciously see it, your pain body identifies it. It's almost mm. like your subconscious. Mm. That part of you that's not necessarily accessible through thinking, only accessible through things like feelings or mm. um, intuition or mm-hmm. gut, um, that already sees it. Um, and so you're drawn to it. So I have my own version of that that's yeah. drawn to the specific set of pattern of behavior that mm-hmm. you know it's familiar to. And so... You consciously, that's why meditation is very important Mm. because then you have to always be like almost like in the driver's seat, Mm. aware of what's happening, aware of what's being, Mm. what's like your affinity Mm. to these things, Mm. and then kind of like interrupt that process, Mm. interrupt it as often as you can. And hopefully, then you get to a point where you don't have to do a lot of work hard work yeah constantly because then it's Mm. it's tedious and it's tiring especially if you're a busy person Mm. yeah Hmm. wow that's very interesting Mm. and your last point you know like pain body like you made me think of how you know like neglected children you know when they become adults sometimes they're attracted to like emotionally unavailable partners because like why am i doing this but it's Mm. like you know you you're seeking out like the same pain that uh-huh. you have. Yeah, super interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Neglect is a sneaky yeah. kind of trauma, if I feel. Yeah? Yeah, I think there are a lot of people who have been, well, you know, I'm not speaking for everybody, just to make sure. Yeah. But, but like at least the people in my life or the mm. people that I've worked with who have neglect mm-hmm. um, as like one of their more core traumas, which mm-hmm. I also have. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's um it can create it can lead to a lot of protective measures or mm-hmm. at least um individualism that true, true. that can almost like disguise itself as health healthy mm. you know because you're like independence yeah. yeah but then you know when you dig deep you just find you know like a mm. neglected child and mm. you know and uh, of course like child in a child kind of therapy is mm. very very mm. important for those kinds of issues but that you know it's a sneaky mm. type of trauma yeah we'll get into it let's uh, <laughs> we're getting really deep very fast uh but before we before we go into you know yeah what we're talking about a little bit more deeply i wanted to ask if you can share with our audience like some of the work you've done in rwanda mm. like um i know there's a time you were working with children and now i know that you work with you know various yeah ages so yeah tell us a little bit more about who you've worked with yeah um so when i moved back again i was more i hadn't really worked in rwanda Mm -hmm. i went to school right after high school and then spent about five years in the u.s um and my final year i worked in a lab Mm -hmm. like a a suicide lab Mm -hmm. uh it was like a youth risk and resilience Mm -hmm. um it was a wonderful lab i loved i learned i loved it so much Mm -hmm. i learned so much um from Dr. Cassie, mm-hmm. um, who was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just great kind of way to transition into Rwanda because mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of literature reviews, um, understanding the, like, the risk factors for even things like depression and et cetera, but also suicide specifically. And mm-hmm. within my own past, it was a very important mm-hmm. kind of way to like, almost like full circle mm-hmm. closure kind mm-hmm. of, you know, to understand mm-hmm. some of the, 
things that I had been saying in my yeah. own family. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I came home in Rwanda, I was just a little lost. I was like, I don't know mm. where to start mm. kind of uh, approaching therapy, approaching psychology. Because before I left, I didn't even think it was a real thing. I didn't know it existed. True. So then when coming come back, back, I'm like, the whole... where do I start? Yeah. Where do I start? But then um, I, I met uh, Dr. Kelly, mm. um, who... You, you know, you and I met in that mm-hmm. class. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me, that class was really a way to seek out people mm-hmm. like me. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say I didn't learn anything. I learned quite a lot, mm-hmm. um, especially directly from Kelly, mm-hmm. yeah. um, who was my who was my supervisor and still mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Um, and so I started working at Lighthouse probably like a few weeks in mm. um, into the class. Oh, uh, yeah. really? That's yeah. true, actually. Didn't yeah. you, you? Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I, I remember this one time where, you know, we, I was... We You're were, like one of the special ones. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think there's other people who have been offered jobs true, through true, that class. True, true. Yeah, I remember we were sitting, we are talking about, I can't remember, maybe family violence or something. Yeah. And I, I don't think I really spoke that often in that mm. classroom, but... Yeah. Yeah, but then after Kelly approached me, she was like, was like I think I think you should. Hmm. You should consider doing this. I was like... I, I want this. to do I this. I want to already. Wow. You don't have to sell. Wow. Have to sell me on it. I was like, when can I start? And mm. you know, I started immediately. Um, I was mostly seeing younger people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was early twenties. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and then Kelly also connected me to this organization called mm-hmm. Hope for Life, mm. which was like a, a. It was like a home for homeless boys mm-hmm. or um, boys just on the street who have maybe family issues or um, mental health issues or for whatever reason, they end up homeless. And mm. so they would provide a home for them. They would get them mitwell. They would take them to school, mm. provide them with meals mm. um, in the hopes to reunite them with the family. Mm. So a lot of them would end up being homeless because of like like a step parent or... Mm. Um, just like disciplinary issues mm. and or a lack of care or neglect, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so then they would work with the family mm. to try to identify what the issues are in the home. And mm. then also I would work with the boys mm. directly to understand what happened to them and mm. what their traumas were. Mm. So that was a wonderful way also to like understand what the issues are in Rwanda, mm. um, what the main kind of things, especially in that a different socioeconomic group, um, right? Mm. Um, And that was just incredible. I worked with, I want to say maybe 40 boys Mm. of maybe the age ranging from like seven to 20 years of age. Okay. Um, And wow, that was Mm. just a a grilling kind of work. Yeah, I remember. Like, remember you used to catch up when you were working there and it sounded very intense. Yeah, Yeah. it's really, really triggering. Yeah. Um, it just it's because it's just beautiful innocent boys mm-hmm. who have been just devoured by this world mm-hmm. and by lack of kindness mm-hmm. in others um and also you can see how the system can fail mm-hmm. um especially kids mm-hmm. and it's just really painful and so i was doing that while also working at lighthouse and then with lighthouse i was starting to meet all the adults and mm. again with the supervision of Kelly um, so it was more like early childhood trauma work um, 
play therapy with the kids. Mm. Uh, so I had to do a lot of research on like how to mm. do play therapy. Mm. Uh, There's the wonderful play therapist that kicks who was helping me mm. uh, how to approach it. I think we also did a play therapy. I think we did. Yeah. We did. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Mm. And it was, it's, adults can also do play therapy, mm. um, especially again, neglected. Um, <laughs> people with neglect I think can also really benefit mm. from play therapy mm. um, it's a very highly interesting form of therapy mm. uh, so I was like learning how to y- y- utilize that with the kids mm. um, and then some teen um, boys in the home would do things like cognitive behavior therapy but I was also doing therapy in Kinyarwanda oh you were um, mm. which is you know a different thing mm. um, yeah that's hard it's really hard because yeah. a lot of language I really couldn't transition it into yeah. or translate it into yeah. uh, Kinyarwanda and so it was a lot of er- try and error mm. um, and you know the beauty is these boys were very patient with me mm. and honestly sometimes they would give me the word I would mm. be like okay Aww. what do you think this yeah and then I'm like okay this is what it, you mean yeah. I was like good Aww. so we would like mm. we had that connection and a lot of the times again it was more like they need love and they need consistency and support and sometimes that would be enough mm. for some of them that would mm. be enough like okay every day I see you here every day you're kind to me you're warm Mm. and I'm gonna test you. that and then that's the thing yes. right because initially they're like oh I mean you're giving me love for three days but mm. you're also gonna leave like in a month yeah so they poke that I yes think, and right? it's like it's your job you don't really care for us mm. you know and trying to help them understand like this is a job yes but mm. also I do care for you mm. and there will be other people mm. who will care for you too mm. so be- helping them believe that they're good people in the world mm. and there's love in the world and you know kind of again creating that safe mm. space and holding it for mm. them and letting them feeling comfortable to be vulnerable around you mm. and also you have to show some of that too which was tricky and I think which made the job a little harder because mm. again if you're a therapist at Lighthouse right or a different place you just someone pays you for the hour they come mm. in mm. you're connect you connect with them for that one hour mm. and they leave mm. um, but these boys were living in that home and I would enter their home right and they are younger and they don't have parents with them. Mm. So it's like, it's not just one hour mm. and it's not more like a therapy client kind of way. You are the adult in their yeah, lives. Yeah. Exactly. So mm. I would just sometimes leave really tired. Mm. <laughs> or they attach to you sometimes. Exactly. Yeah. And if they make a strong attachment, then it's yeah. really easy to disappoint them. Yeah. If you have a tired day yeah. and especially from their experiences where they've been, you know, Betrayed or at least unloved, mm. um, any kind of behavior or change can be seen as a, mm. a threatening kind mm. of thing, and which would lead them to retreat yeah. into these pain bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Dixon, I feel like this conversation is going to take five hours. <laughs> I got the time. <laughs> no, because literally we can. Yeah, I just love talking about this thing. You know, we can we can go into it. It can you take know. many directions. It can and, take many directions. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, what we're saying of, um, you know, them poking it. I actually have an example of like in my own life. There was someone that, I mean, she's in, she's been in my life for quite some time. You know, she's like a mentor figure. But I remember, like in the first days, like when we met, like she was very loving. Yeah. Very kind and very loving. And I was like, I don't believe that. Mm. You know? Um, and it took 
I think it has taken it, it took years, you know, for me to actually believe that this person doesn't it's not joking. There's no know? agenda. <laughs> yeah. not, there's no agenda. Yeah. Um but I think I kind of maybe have a I'm not saying like it's that extreme, you know, yeah. like the, the boys, but sometimes mm. there's that like temptation to poke. Mm. I'm like, mm, it's just it's just a temporary thing, mm. you know. Like maybe the moment they discover that you're not perfect, you know, they're they're out. They're out. Um, and yeah. it takes consistency, you know, to get to the place where you actually believe, like, oh, they love you for who you are, you know. It's not, yeah. But anyways, okay. So, um, going into the conversation, like childhood trauma, like, mm. why is understanding, you know, our childhood circumstances, you know, a critical piece in understanding our adult selves? Because I mean, nowadays on the internet, you know, there's a lot of like childhood trauma. Everything stems from childhood. So there's that. Mm kind of common or I don't know understanding in the general public that this is really important Mm. Um, but my question to you is like why is it important like it's not a buzzword it's not a trend like why is this actually very critical yeah I think it's I I think it's really critical because early early childhood trauma is like a core circuit Mm. in your mind Mm. and I like to say circuit because I think it's a wonderful way to like Mm. think about psychology Mm -hmm. if you start from um, thoughts Mm. right if you start there um, you have random thoughts constantly Mm. about all kinds of things Mm. right Um, and also thoughts can lead to like emotions Mm. right you can think something negative about yourself which can lead to some sort of feeling of sadness or someone can say something Mm. which can create or elicit that feeling right Mm. and then if you go to feelings then you can easily go into behavior so Mm. if you feel sad you can um go out and drink Mm. to make yourself Mm. feel better or Mm. go eat some really bad food to comfort yourself um so like thoughts lead to feelings feelings can lead to thoughts all that can lead to behavior behavior can lead to habits so then all of a sudden you have an addiction problem Mm. or you you know you self-harm um so that's like a circuit right like you're moving from thoughts to feelings to behavior to habits um and early childhood trauma has many 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 interlinking circuits Mm. um and if it's trauma then you know that the habits are going to be pretty negative and self-sabotaging um, and just incongruent with the growth. Mm. Um, mm. And also they're going to be very familiar and comfortable. So then you have all of these circuits, some helpful and you know coping mechanisms that have supported you, mm. but maybe are no longer serving you. Mm. They're just sort of habits you have that are not necessarily mm. helpful, such as poking a, perfect, a perfectly good friendship just mm-hmm. to test, to make sure that, True. is this person for real? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the circuits I'm talking about. And th- it's important to know them, right? And to understand how they affect you, to understand how they're maybe not serving you anymore. You are serving the circuits. You're mm-hmm. sort of feeding mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's important because mm-hmm. this is kind of how you move through the world a lot of the time mm. and it affects not just you it affects everybody around you mm. it affects your work mm. it affects your productivity mm. it affects your health biological health um so yeah mm. yeah that's, that's the main mm. reason i would mm. say okay no but i also think um you know for me i mean one of the reasons i think it's it's also very important is because 
as a child, you're basically like brand new, right? Yeah. Like you don't have any context yeah. or any understanding mm-hmm. of the world or any understanding of the motivation of other people. Maybe I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm explaining it in like lay, layman terms. Yeah. Um, but um, you know how they say like, you know, children are very egocentric. Like you, they just think about themselves. They interpret the world as it relates to them. Yeah. Um, so I also, also think there is that, like everything that happens in childhood mm. is not interpreted properly, unless you have an adult in your life who can maybe like help you make sense of things. Like if mm-hmm. if you lose someone as a child, mm-hmm. um, I know a lot of kids, for example, there's something that's cemented there that oh, this person is gone because I'm not good enough or because... Like, you make it about you, mm. right? You're, they yeah. abandoned me. Yeah. And they abandoned me. Yeah. They left because maybe there are be- other better kids, you know, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem with that is that those early beliefs, mm. you know, we live with them and, you know, and, and, and unless there's like a pattern interruption, you know, mm. later on in life. Mm. But... Um, yeah, I think you form these beliefs as a kid that mm-hmm. lack context and they're not accurate, but in your world, that, that that's what makes sense. Yeah. Um, and when you don't kind of revisit that like blueprint that you got as a kid, you keep using it in life. Like if, mm-hmm. if this, you know, let's say you've had that belief that I'm not good enough, like you kind of walk in the world mm-hmm. with that like very old, strong belief that you got in childhood. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so 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 that's for me. I think I guess what I would add that childhood in general, I think it's bound to be you know traumatic. That's why I yeah. think like parents have to be present mm. to help kids make sense of the world. You know, mm-hmm. because if you go, you might even have perfectly good parents, but you go to yeah. school and the kid bullies you, mm-hmm. and it's hard not to take that to heart. You know, because you don't understand that they are doing it because maybe, you know, they're just a little kid who happens to be, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so because we are very, very vulnerable as kids and we are taking everything in and in our egocentric manner, making it about ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, childhood tends to leave us with a lot of inaccurate beliefs, you know, and then we, we, we carry that for Absolutely. the rest of our lives. Yeah. Yeah, they are just perfect, you know, like yeah. those beliefs are built. Yeah. And like you said, inaccurate, you know. Yeah. When you're younger. Um, and that can also lead to even things like it can lead to what you value, you know, it can mm. enter that realm and it can also lead to like the careers you choose True. just based on like these beliefs you have about yourself. Mm. If it's highly positive because you um, had either resilience or mm-hmm. you had love from your family like a lot of it or mm-hmm. those uh, you know you go to school you're bullied but mm-hmm. then you come home and your parents help you understand like this is not true of you these mm-hmm. are this this person who's bullying you is probably suffering you mm-hmm. know and they're giving you the context you know then you know it builds resilience mm-hmm. um you can go out in the world, get hurt, but then you have people around you and you, you get context mm. and it kind of removes or at least alleviates some mm. of that. Mm. And you, you can continuously grow mm. in a way that's good and mm. healthy for you. Mm. Yeah. And I also think like 
because sometimes I meet adults or, you know, even in our own situations where you're like, I'm a grown, rational person, Yeah, you think, mm. but then you keep making these like silly decisions mm-hmm. that you don't understand. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the adult person I am yeah. who has the understanding, exposure, education, mm-hmm. relationships, responsibilities, mm-hmm. shouldn't be making these types of decisions. But you're like, uh, why do I keep, you know, doing these things? You know? Exactly. <laughs> it's because I feel like, yeah, there is like another old... I keep using the word old. Maybe that's misleading. Mm-hmm. But there's another like existing software, basically, that's kind of running your life. Exactly. Yeah. These are the circuits yeah, we are talking about, circuits, right? Exactly. It's, it's, you have them. There are many, many interlinking. And um, that's why part of you, maybe the one that you're currently identifying with, such mm. as like uh, the busy mm. grown-up with who's responsible and is a go-getter and mm. is an achiever, etc. right? Is making these other things are like, well, this is incongruent with mm-hmm. who I am. It's because there's another part of you that also, another software or mm. inner child, whatever you want to call it, mm. uh, that has your own needs uh, and they need those needs met. Mm. And it's not necessarily agreeing with you. Mm. And so... This is why you gotta do the work. Hmm. But what is the work, Dixon? Like, yeah, what, what is <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, you know, you have to first identify uh-huh. most of the things you do, you have a reason for it. Mm. You know, it's giving you something. Mm. So you have to understand, like, what am I benefiting from this? Maybe it is hurting you, but like, in the moment when you do the thing or make the poor choice, does it feel like you're consciously making a poor choice that is hurting you or mm. that person who's making the choice in the moment maybe it's what they need but in the long run it's harming you or mm. you think it's silly so you have to understand why am I doing this what is it giving me and then it's also important to understand why it's there mm. um, and then once you have those two it can help you understand like how do I move forward mm. Understanding what's wrong is not enough mm. for sure. Mm. Because again, if it's um, an old software, mm-hmm. if it's an old mm. circuit, mm. then it's just going to be that much harder to remove because mm. you have to unlearn and then replace. Mm. Um, so unlearning is not easy, but mm. it's doable. Mm. And replacing also the same. Mm. Um, so yeah, it just depends on what the software is or mm. what the, what the thing true. is. That's yeah. true. Yeah, so the work depends on, you know, what's going on with a specific individual. Yeah, and who that individual is. And, yeah. you know, coming up with a replacement is going to be mm. based on who that person is and what they care about or the, who they want to be. Mm. Um, but also I think, again, wanting to grow mm. and be the best version of yourself, I think is not always like a... Depending on who you are, but mm-hmm. it's not a, a very sometimes powerful mm. reason to change any behavior. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So it's it's complicated. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Sometimes it's not enough motivation to undo, you know, such a powerful yeah. way, you know, that you've been your whole life. Like exactly. A, yeah. And it's also not even, it's, it's not a present thing. Yeah. It's more like a, a future goal like Mm. i want to be this person but Mm. in the moment you know if we take um someone who let's say really really loves drinking Mm. but is concerned for their health and wants to be a healthy individual Mm. then in the moment they're like but i want to drink and Mm. it helps me and you know they have these circuits Mm. however in the long run in the long run they're like i want to be a healthy person who Mm. um doesn't have to 
you know, harm themselves or、mm. like suffer through hangovers、mm. the next day.、Mm. But presently, that's not really. That's a powerful yeah. reason. Yeah. yeah so、mm. it's tricky.、Mm. But I also think there's another.、Mm. Um, I don't know if it's an extreme. There are also people, let's say, who become aware of, you know, this is what happened in my childhood.、Yeah. Uh, I was neglected, or, you know, I had these issues.、Mm-hmm. But then I feel like sometimes people can also have the tendency to hold on to those narratives、mm-hmm. um, in a way that is not helpful to them. Like, oh, because, you know, I, I was neglected. Neglected as a child, and therefore、mm. I cannot have like healthy relationships. And they kind of、yeah. live life like that. Like, this is what happened to me,、yeah. you know, when I was five or when I was seven. Yeah. But I've held onto that narrative in a way that I don't want to use, use the word excuse, but in a way that defines maybe.、Mm. No, it's almost like it's something that justifies. The、mm. lack of effort,、mm. you know?、Yes. So it's like, okay, this thing happened,、mm. and it's responsible of the way I am, you know? The way I am in the present is not necessarily good or helpful.、Mm. Um, I want to be better, but there is work that's required for me to be better.、Mm. But I'm just going to hold on to this narrative because it kind of it justifies my way of being. So it's not my fault, technically, you know,、mm. because this is what I experienced. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you see what I mean, but I, sometimes I see, I see that, you know, even in my own life when, you know, the people that are around me. It's like,、mm. this thing happened. Yes, it's true, you know.、Mm. Um, but let me not hold on to that narrative because are, you know how they say, like, you know, like what happened in your childhood is not your fault, but what you do as an adult is your responsibility. Absolutely.、Um, so sometimes I feel like, yeah. There are people who get to the step of the realization, like, this was my childhood.、Mm. It affected me in these ways. And they just they stay there instead of doing the, taking on the responsibility of an adult to make different decisions or to embrace the hard work that is healing and being better. You know, me saying that doesn't、yeah. really sound very empathetic. No, but, it,、uh, no, but, <laughs> but I feel like, yeah, it's, it's another angle I think that also needs to be explored. Yeah, yeah I agree. I agree.、Yeah. I, I, I know many, many people、yeah. like that who come,、mm. even come to therapy for,、mm. for many years or、mm. months.、Um, and yeah, it, it's tricky because, you know, own your past, own、mm. your story. You know, if something traumatic happened to you, It's, your, it's yours, it's、mm. your pain. And however long you want to live in that、mm. is up to you.、Mm. Um, I think if you, you know, you know, this thing happened to me at this age and I'm suffering still,、mm. um, I, I don't think I can disagree with you, right?、Mm. Like you are suffering.、Mm. Um, I think though, you know, if then your suffering, your pain is affecting everyone around you, then、mm. if you don't.、Mm. Work through it or change, then、mm. I don't know. Like、mm. the people around you, should they suffer、mm. because of、yeah. you trying to hold on to this、mm. pain?、Um, I think if it's a personal choice, <laughs> it's hard to say personal choice because、mm. they don't, I don't think they feel like they're choosing, they're choosing it. Way,、yeah. It's just like,、mm. this is just who I am now because、mm. of what happened to me. Yeah. I think that's fine.、Um, mm. um, but I think if you, If you are consciously holding on to it, like you feel like you are, then、mm. you know, maybe 
Mm. You need to get help as well. Mm -hmm. But I think if it's more like, I just can't move on from this. Mm. This is, I can forgive this person. Mm. Um, Then I think, I don't know. I Mm. think it's almost like fine. But I think it's just, again, other people. Mm. If Mm. other people are being hurt by you or, you know, harmed somehow Mm. because of this persona you're holding on to or this event then i'm like i I think that's where to do something yeah because if you if you are suffering and you're like no this pain is mine Mm -hmm. then it's your pain but again if you're inflicting that on other people then Mm. i think it's where Mm. i would probably take issue with Mm. yeah yeah and i also sometimes think um that the narratives we tell ourselves are not always accurate, right? Like in hindsight, everything looks like this happened and that happened and affected me this way. And therefore, it's like a very neat story. And sometimes you can tell that story for like 10 years, 20 years. Like I was born this way, Mm -hmm. this happened, I developed these traits, Mm -hmm. ta-da, I'm in the present and this is how messed up I am as an adult. Exactly. Um, But sometimes I think it's important to challenge some of those narratives. Like Mm -hmm. was there any positive things in your upbringing for some people that's like unthinkable like yeah because you've never actually considered you yeah. know you've held on to the negative events yeah. um so anyways i think yeah in, ther- in therapy i think that's where you probably have a, an extensive chance to explore all of these things like the narratives that you hold on to the habits that you've developed in the present yeah um i also think like like you yeah. just said narratives or at least memory is yes. so faulty and yes. finicky, like Chances are a lot of the stuff we tell ourselves are not even true yeah. at all. It's just that, um, you know, a lot of times people remember a feeling mm. better than events, yes. you know? So I think it's more, that's why I'm, I'm never really too focused on, in my work, I'm never too focused on like the things mm. that they're saying. It's mm. more like how they how felt, they felt about mm. it. I kind of go after that more mm. um, because I think it also informs like how they're going to feel in the future but also like you know what will help them out of it is like you know how do i create a space where this feeling can be Mm. i don't know neutralized or Mm. at least give them comfort um but again yeah everything we kind of tell ourselves Mm. i sometimes think like when i look back i'm like the memories i have are so hazy it's almost like a dream yeah um but some of the feelings i know are real Mm. um so yeah but also i think it touches on gratitude Mm. which you know, I think it's probably the most resilient thing out there. You know, mm. like if you can look at your past, remember the pain, but then find some sort of gratitude to where you are now mm. and maybe parts of it that were like, you know, I don't know, find some sort of positivity mm. um, out of it. I think it's uh, it's just probably the... One of the good tools you can... Yeah, yeah. it's just so nurturing and protective mm. and... It's my favorite thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I need to get into it. <laughs> yep. I know it's kind of corny. A lot of people find it. What? <laughs> a lot of people think it's corny. Yeah, Gratitude no, is like, if It doesn't feel genuine. Sometimes yeah. it feels like, okay, great. I'm grateful for life. Yeah, it's another crazy. narrative. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, uh, yeah, you're right. I think. This one time I was, uh, I was uh, having a session with a client mm. and I sort of brought up gratitude mm. carefully. Mm. And they were like, you know, it's like kind of more like in the in the stream of, well, you're alive, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and they're like, I wish I was never born, though. Oh, wow. Yeah. So then I was like, OK, well, that's trickier. Because <laughs> <laughs> wow. like the whole concept of like being alive is like, or at least like, you know, 
I just wish I never existed. That's uh, that's deep. Yeah, it's a really yeah. Mm, so. There's no way of count following that. Yeah. Oh yeah, but now using gratitude for yeah. sure. Yeah, you have yeah. to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So my next question for you. So we are seeing uh, like increasing rates of depression and anxiety, especially in you know the younger generation. Yeah. Um, and I feel like you know our generation is much more comfortable than our parents. Mm. were I think at least in terms of like basic daily comforts yeah um so you would think that because we have access to all kinds of things like good healthcare good education transport food you Mm. know you would think we are happier yeah you know but I don't know if we are where do you think that is Mm, that's a really good question complicated question yeah um I'm sure there's a there's a like a an actual well researched response, yeah. but I think I'll give you my theory. Uh-huh. Um, I think first of all, our generation just understands a bit more yeah. when it comes to some of the like psychological things or social. We we also have the time, yeah, a little bit to to examine our lives. Um, I mentioned earlier um, about like. Things like thoughts, and mm. feelings, like if you have the time, mm. you will listen to your thoughts mm. a lot more. Mm. Um, I just think people just nowadays are more, a little bit more mm. introspective mm. or at least have the room or space to look at their lives. And also there's a lot of ways you can compare yourself mm. to others around you through like, True. we're so connected now. Mm. Like if you're a little boy growing up in the... 50s, you know, like there was no social media. Like you're not yeah. really looking at how bad your life is oh, compared right. to like a kid in France, you know, having the same, you know. So they were not really mm. comparing themselves to mm. a standard that's really high. They mm. probably compared to themselves to like the richest boy in the class or, that's true. Um, you mm. know. So there's just a lot more compar- comparisons. That's true. But also mm. there's a lot of time, I think, Again, money is a tool that can provide you like resource, uh, resource, but also time to do whatever you want to do. Mm. You know, like Mm. people back in the day didn't really Mm. have time to to introspect like that, chill, (laughs) you know, or hang out. And a lot of the times they had to, you know, be working hard and. Looking for ways to eat, yeah, um, and also. But I also think there's a lot of happiness that comes from working hard. Absolutely, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe we are not as happy because we are. Maybe, I mean, I mean, I have a whole theory about this as well. Mm. It's not my own theory. It's like a, you know, a theory that other people have come up with. Um, But I think so. This theory is more like we are not happy because we have access to very cheap pleasure, you know? Mm. So it's like, if you are, if you want sugar, you can eat sugar. If you want your screen, Mm. you get a quick hit of, you know, dopamine. Mm -hmm. So because we are accessing happiness that we have not worked for, Mm. um, then I think our brains, like in an attempt to go back to like equilibrium, mm-hmm. you know, I think it has to to basically give us like more pain, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. to counter. 
I, I can expound. I can. Yeah, <laughs> Do I need to expound? Yeah, explain more a bit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I was following until the last part. Okay. Okay. Right? So let's let's start from the beginning. So yeah. I was reading this book. It's mm-hmm. called Dopamine Nation by Ooh. Dr. Anna Lemke, mm-hmm. and she talks about how you know. So like one of the most interesting discoveries of like the last century in like psychology and neuroscience mm-hmm. was that like the the part of your brain that processes pain is co-located, that's the term they use, with the part of your brain that processes pleasure. Mm. So she basically says that it's like your pain and your pleasure are almost on a balance or a seesaw, you know? Mm. Um, But the ideal position or place for your your brain to be is in balance, Mm. right? So like homeostasis or equilibrium. Mm. So so they basically say that it's why, for example, after you achieve something amazing, like the next day, you don't, you can't, because you can't really stay up there. Like you Mm. can't really stay very happy and very high. So it's like your brain has to recalibrate, you know, Mm. there is like that instant discomfort after you've experienced like something very good. So it's like the attempt of your brain to like go back to normal, right? Mm. But then they say, um, so for example, when you exercise, so there is like the tilting Mm. towards pain that's followed by the tilting towards pleasure. Mm. And then you feel, you know, nice and balanced. But for example, if you are consuming things like social media, you know, porn, you know, all these things that like, hike up your pleasure Mm. side of the brain Mm -hmm. then and 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 as you can imagine a lot of us actually are constantly doing those things you know you're kind of constantly giving your brain something nice you know to do Mm. um so there is not enough time to fully recalibration Mm. so like i think over time it's like in an attempt to balance itself there is like a bigger weight that's put on like your your pain. Um, I don't know what 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 the right you know scientific term is. Uh, so over time, you can feel like more sad and more depressed, you know. But it's a it's, it's a result of um, this imbalance of pleasure, you know. So it's it's probably like a more complicated explanation but you know how they used to say like oh you know like having like money and comforts that's always like followed by sadness and extreme depression or like fame that's always followed by all these you know Mm. yeah (laughs) I think I think it's 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 that's like a good explanation of it I don't think we are necessarily meant to be ecstatic you know, mm-hmm. and even when people say like, "Oh, I want to be happy in life," I'm like, "What do you mean?" I think what you want is to be in balance, not necessarily mm-hmm. to be like, you know, happy and jumping up and down. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, because um, so they were saying in this book that you know everything that basically takes the brain out of equilibrium is interpreted as stress, even if it's a good thing. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, that's not normal. We need to go back to, you know, how we are. So, I mean, for me, my theory would be that, like, you know, the reason maybe our generation is is sad and depressed mm. is because 
you know, you can laugh when you want to laugh. You can eat sugar when you want to eat sugar. You can access all these things very easily mm. um, and very constantly. So you, you don't have enough time to come back to balance and equilibrium. Um, yeah. And, 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 and you're not training your brain to, like, if I eat a cookie, I'm good. The discomfort that, that comes after eating a cookie... Mm. Like, oh, I want another one. Like, if you actually, like, wait for, like, five minutes. Okay, I think I'm on, now going on a ramble. But, like, you get the idea. I right? do. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the theory of uh, addiction. Yes. Um, I think that's what they were mm. uh, getting at. Is the, I believe it was Nicholas Akamens, mm. you know, that pleasure center. Mm. Um, and, you know, when people drink or do any kind of drug, it mm. kind of shoots up. Mm. And then on the way to homeostasis, it has to shoot down so there's a peak low Mm. there's a peak low and then when the next day if you're trying to come back it doesn't quite go back to normal Mm. it was actually a little lower yeah it stays down it stays a little lower and you know depending on how long you you're doing those kind of drugs Mm. that specific drug then Mm. you kind of continuously lower your Mm. um, threshold yeah Yeah. the brain is plastic you can probably be able to go back Mm. but it truthfully it's very very difficult Mm. to go back to your original state Mm. so then there's somewhat of a a lower Mm. kind of if you can imagine like a graph that's got a lower level Mm. um and that is definitely like one of the more it's it's a fact Mm. um of the brain and how the brain looks like after an addiction Mm. or a substance that Mm. has those kind of effects Mm. um I don't know how much research has been done mm. around social media or mm, um, true. probably sugar does. Mm. Um, yeah, but I know that a lot of these things do have a, an association with mm. like dopamine, mm. um, you know, mm. getting a notification from Instagram. I think there's mm. a study that mm. looked at that. Mm. Um, I don't know to what level mm. it can affect that, but yeah. yeah, yeah, it's interesting theory. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about addiction. Mm. Um, what is addiction and at what point should I be concerned? Because I feel mm. like a lot of people, when you talk about addiction, you think about people who are extremely addicted, right? Like mm. addiction to heroin, cocaine, mm. gambling, mm. Uh, porn, masturbation, alcohol, weed. Um, so those are like the extreme size that we think about. Mm. So I'm curious to know, like, you know, what is addiction? Like, at what point should the average person maybe who's not like visibly struggling should be concerned yeah i think you know there's a clinical term for addiction but i think a lot of time people in our lives are talking about abuse Mm. um yeah okay i think most people abuse all sorts of things you Mm -hmm. know um they maybe drink a little too much Mm -hmm. um which classifies as abuse maybe Mm -hmm. you're having i don't know like six drinks a week mm-hmm. um th- i think that is a level of abuse okay. um yeah <laughs> <laughs> good but to I, know <laughs> but i don't think i at least i don't think i would call that person an addict okay. um so i think what elements are you talking are you talking about abuse which is what people do no, a lot but i mean that's actually a good distinction to mm. know right because uh, for me i was thinking more like okay it's a, it's a spectrum and like the extreme side is like the actual addiction, but we are kind of all addicted in our small ways. But that's not true. Mm-hmm. Like what you're saying is basically yeah. 
that's abuse and when it gets like completely out of hand that's when it then becomes it addiction. enters into addiction right yeah. like it, it's negatively affecting your life in yeah all kinds of ways your relationships your mm. body your job um when it starts seeping into an really wreaking havoc into mm. your life then mm. i think you would classify as addiction or just complete inability to stop mm. you know like mm. people who are drinking until they pass out mm. um who cannot go to work anymore they choose work they get fired mm. um their partners leave them you know mm. we're entering that realm but i think almost everybody mm. has some sort of vice or mm. some sort of thing that they do a little too much of mm. um and there is some sort of consequence mm. or they're self-harming in some way mm. so if you're drinking more than i don't know six drinks a week there's an actual number and i'm mm. not quite sure mm. but i think it's like six or mm. five drinks a week mm. then there's like an actual effect on your body like you're really are harming your liver you mm. know? and if you're maybe drinking i don't know six cups a day mm. you know there's your of coffee yeah you're putting mm. a lot of stress on you know, mm. your heart and mm. your stomach as well and oh wow if you're eating a little too many cupcakes you know mm. that means that you know your yeah. sh- blood sugar level you're mm. affecting it and everybody has a version of that or like people who are you know watching netflix at work you know you know, True. or like Facebook, whatever you want to call it, social yeah. media, they can put down their phone mm. on Sundays, your screen time, you know, every mm. week is higher, or, mm. you know, that's like you're getting, it's just not, you're overdoing something mm. um, in a way that isn't really, it's a little irresponsible. Mm. However, it's not really like... Mm. That's why you can continuously do it. You're almost like on the verge. You're playing with... But that's the thing. I think that's like why it's dangerous, you Mm -hmm. know, because it's... We don't take it as seriously. You know, it's like, oh, I use my phone for many hours. Mm -hmm. I submit my assignments late because, you know... Yeah. I was busy, like, scrolling through my phone. Mm -hmm. But that's dangerous, right? Like, it's not too dangerous that you get to a point of maybe having, like, extreme consequences. I think you're you're building a circuit, right? Like, you're building this kind of circuit where maybe you have a feeling of ooh I'm a little kind of bored or mm. I don't want to start this task and then I'm like okay what can I do it's like oh but I do like to scroll through Instagram mm. so you go on Instagram you get a little boost of dopamine mm. um, you like what you do mm. it's hard to get off and then all of a sudden four hours have passed and you have the deadline so mm. you have to like jump into the mm. work and rush to finish um, and then your quality of work is a little lower mm. um, also you didn't enjoy the task because you, it was under a lot of pressure mm. but now you're also building a, a circuit of I work under pressure mm. and then you can also start creating a narrative like I'm actually pretty good under, under pressure but like mm. you're not you just have learned to do things despite wow. yeah mm. um, yeah so you can just enter into that and I think there's a certain kind of brain you know and also a certain kind of trauma Hmm. or pain that makes it easier for someone to or at least make you susceptible or more likely to have an addiction kind of okay you know tendency tendency where Mm. you know virtually almost everybody will drink at some point Mm. but not all of us will become true alcoholics Mm. right um so somebody drinks and then they're like "Mm, i love this a lot I'll mm. do this once a week. Mm. Someone else will be like, I love this a lot. I'll do it every day mm. for the rest of my life. Mm. You know? So mm. it's, uh, mm. so it's good for to know that, you know, sometimes it's also how you are wired. wired. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So like know your genetic pre- predisposition 
and work with that. Like respect. I feel like sometimes you need to actually respect that. Like I'm a little weaker than the average person and therefore I should stay away from. Yeah. I mean, if your family has a lot of people with addiction, maybe you should stay away. Yeah. Um, And I think people, you know, like when, when you do something, you immediately know like Mm. how much you love it. Mm. Um, And self self self-restraint you know Mm. and creating i don't know mechanisms or measures to make sure that you're not Mm. ending up in a hole Mm. okay so if someone discovers that you know they have those tendencies or they're in a place where they are starting to get concerned about some of their habits Mm. what is usually a good place to start you know to start so that you you know eventually stop like what are some simple habits they can put in place you mean like someone is like a little concerned about you know they are like oh I think I drink a little too much or I think I I smoke a little too much um, mm. I want to stop but stop uh, completely or have a healthy relationship with <laughs> this particular substance yeah sometimes you can't you know yeah. again that's the thing like um, some substances you just you be like you know what I don't think I can actually have a healthy relationship with this mm-hmm. thing and in that case stop it you know yeah and by well, how stop- do you do that right because I feel like that's the thing that people tell a lot of people who are struggling or who are addicted like oh stop just stop look at you know the consequences it's having in your life you know um, but, but it's easy I mean it's hard to get yourself to stop sometimes yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, again, like, do you want to stop is the first thing I would say. Or mm. do you think it's a problem? Because a lot of the times, a lot of people are told by their friends and mm. family, like, oh, you drink too much mm. or you do this drug too much and mm. it's hurting you. Um, but they don't believe that to be the case. Mm. Mm. So if they don't believe it, then there is no stopping. Um, mm. You would have to. It's like when like people have to go to a facility and maybe get their brain chemistry back to normal as possible so that they can be reasonable. Mm. But if maybe they are using a certain kind of drug every day and they don't believe they have a problem, like you can have a conversation with that person Mm. and get them to change. But if it's a person who truly believes Mm. that they do have a problem and they want to work on it, Mm. then of course therapy um, Mm. would be effective there. And then the approach there would be to understand there is, the, of course, a love for the drug that mm. is just the truth. Mm. Um, there's not much to understand there. The person likes it, mm. whatever drug they're using. And then the other side is, could there be any sort of pain, you exp- a kind of suffering mm. or a kind of thing that you're, you, you're using the drug to escape this specific thing or a few things? Um, and then if you can identify what those are, um, you can help that person find ways to sort of self-soothe without the drug um but again you can't get away from the love of the actual drug so Mm. that part is really the hardest part Mm. um so you know they experience suffering they escape with the drug Mm. um so then you have to again make them aware of the suffering make them aware of the triggers in the environment Mm. um triggers i mean um when something is brewing emotionally, mm. to learn to fi- to quickly identify, like oh, I'm getting to the place where mm. um, I want to reach for something to soothe me, mm. um, and then again teaching them how to self-soothe without mm. the drugs, mm. and then you know things like what times did you used to do the drug? 
so you know the time mm-hmm. will get to that point and then the person will be triggered mm-hmm. you know i know people who like every afternoon they want to drink or mm-hmm. you know like whenever sure. i after i eat a meal mm-hmm. i immediately want to drink mm-hmm. so there, there's all kinds of like little the cue that's associated with a certain habit uh, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. and there are many you know mm-hmm. inv- maybe that person is to drink uh at home mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the home is not safe mm-hmm. you know there's all kinds of little mm. little things you have to mm. look at. And, Good. you know, addiction is really, really, complicated. really complicated. Yeah. And, again, some of these circuits are built earlier, and they've been doing this for a long time, mm. and they enjoy the drug. Mm. Um, and there are a million kinds of triggers. Mm. And there's uh, all kinds of reasons they're self-soothing that way. They're uh, escaping mm. with these drugs. Um so mm. it's one of but the what have you seen helping your patients because you said you work with patients who have addiction um, like, do you have any success I mean you're not going to tell us like their stories in particular but like, do you have any success stories like someone you've worked with and they have gotten to the other side of the addiction yeah so I you know I, I work in a private clinic so mm-hmm. we receive people who probably have decided to stop mm-hmm. um, but then sometimes they relapse mm-hmm. while we're working together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, yeah, I have had some successes, but mm-hmm. again, I don't know what, how, who, I don't call them back and like, Let's say if they... hey, are you still sober? Mm-hmm. I really don't know, but I've had people who have successfully stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, it's a lot of work. So it's sort of like, it's a day-to-day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Every day you wake up and you have to resist the urge and you have to, replace the habit with something else mm, that you mm. love um, and you have to have support mm. uh, people you can talk to about your addiction people who are with similar experiences it's not really just I don't think therapy with a therapist is enough I think okay yeah I think having a community where or you know people have AA people have sponsors you know Alcoholics mm. Anonymous yes, where yes. they have someone on call for when there is they're getting the urge mm. because again it's the thing is we have to interrupt mm. the the pattern when it's emerging mm. because if you're all alone and you have access to the drug and you get the urge and your it therapist is nowhere to be found <laughs> yeah. you know like also again your brain is changed by virtually everything you do mm. and drugs can really change you mm. in a profound way can mm. alter how you think mm. um, and then when you're in that state where you need the drug you're not really yourself yeah and you will tell yourself anything mm. uh, and you'll That's rationalize true. things That's yeah mm. you're it really alters your thinking mm. in a profound way and if you don't have someone right there to help you make sense of the urge the the pull um and interruptive with you and mm. the next time you mm. almost can tell yourself the same story when mm, it happens. Then true. It's trickier. Like, yeah, it's just one one time. Or, yeah. yeah. I think addiction, if you're currently an addict, mm. being in therapy just to unpack your pain, mm. where that stems from, mm. is absolutely important. But also, again, a community of people yeah. who get it mm. and who can help you, especially in those moments mm. where you're experiencing it in real time, is, mm. I think, the best way to come to mm. get out of that mm. um, yeah yeah probably living alone is not the best option if, yeah, yeah. I, I don't especially think, like if the source mm. of your addiction is in this like it's something that you can find in the house like if mm-hmm. if it's drugs or alcohol or some websites like if it's something you can do in your own personal time yeah if you live alone I think it's hard to 
overcome that and it really is very fun. difficult yeah. and i think that's why like sober homes are a thing like mm. especially like immediately a few weeks or months after you quit mm. living alone is not a good idea mm. you have to sort of have response like you know people around you so that you can be responsible mm. it's just very easy to like mm. sleep back into your old mm. patterns if mm. you're left yeah. alone man life is complicated you know mm. i think we all need actually some form of accountability i mean yeah mm. people who struggle with addiction more so but like yeah even with ourselves like if you have a very bad habit you know i think mm. having some form of external accountability always helps because like when you're in the moment and you're about to do that thing that you always do that you feel bad about yeah sometimes it's hard to stop yourself you know which is why i think people struggle with like the same things for ages because you tell yourself i'm gonna change i'm not gonna do it again then you do it you know yeah i mean you're right it's it's like any habit you know it's that's what it takes to to stop habit um yeah definitely accountability is part of it yeah uh, and also just shame. <laughs> you know, we are getting close to the end. Mm-hmm. And I think as we get clo- close to the end, it's important to talk about, you know, the things people can do mm-hmm. um, to improve their mental well-being. I think we started talking about childhood trauma um, mm-hmm. that manifests in many different ways, you know, mm-hmm. in our adult lives. Yeah. I've talked about addiction. Um so yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm thinking you know our audience is probably, you know each one of them, either has something they are working on you know to improve their mental health. Mm. Um, what do you usually recommend to people you know who want to improve their mental health? You know someone who's dealing with anxiety, depression, addiction, or you know always feels like ah oh, I'm not where I could be. You know I could be healthier. Like what do you recommend? Mm. Oof, that's a I think let's just start with on the like basic level mm. mental health mm. um, because once you enter things like depression anxiety mm. then mm-hmm. it's trickier mm. but I think if you just want to say okay I just feel like I want to feel better mm. feel better start there I think sleep is mm. <laughs> sleep is incredibly useful exercise incredibly mm. useful hydration incredibly useful mm. um, and I think some of these things sound kind of like, Basic, but yeah, yeah. yeah, but you'd yeah. be under, you'd be shocked to understand like mm. how many people are not sleeping well, True. Uh, how many people are not exercising mm. uh, enough mm. for them to feel kind of you get those kind of like mm. what are they called? Mm. Um, I forget the name. Um, endorphins mm. uh, flowing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would start there, um, and then I would add things like meditation. I think is incredibly powerful. Mm. True. I think it rivals therapy. Mm. You know, <laughs> like your an, an ability to sit with yourself and watch your own mind mm. is it will teach you so much about yourself because mm. you just you will hear these narratives that are going on constantly. Mm. Um, these words you're using to describe yourself. Mm. It also helps you just catch yourself in conversations. You're just more present. You know, mm. um, so yeah, meditation. But then if you move into things like maybe you you are experiencing some sort of pain, whether it's anxiety or it's um, an interpersonal issue, mm. then I think surrounding yourself with support. So mm. by that, I mean, if you have a, you have friends, then mm. having conversations about what's going on. Mm-hmm. If you're not if you don't have close friendships, then um I guess therapy would be your best bet. Mm. Um, but I'm not saying, you know, use your friends as therapists, mm. but more like, I don't know, just uh, 
I don't know. How do you, how do you feel loved? You know, how do you feel like mm-hmm. you're expressing yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, you have things like belonging. Like, do you feel like you have that? So there's a bit of introspection, um, which you can do mm-hmm. by writing, mm-hmm. which you can do by talking to your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I also hear that there's a lot of people who don't like writing. Uh, mm, so then I always say voice notes are great. You know, mm-hmm. talking into the phone and playing those back whenever mm. to just hear mm. what's going on. Mm. Um, and then, then, you know, do you want me to talk about like specific? Everything. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. you also, I mean, I, you know, mm. you do like cognitive behavior t- therapy, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know when it comes like down to it, like what I, people supposed to be doing or thinking about. Um, I mean, cognitive behavior therapy is sort of like, an approach where I we, we let's say we are having a conversation, you know, mm-hmm. as a therapist, I'm, I'm listening to you, and then I'm kind of using what you're saying and repeating it back to you, or mm-hmm. um, following the thread. So people are not always aware mm-hmm. of these beliefs they have, mm-hmm. beliefs they have of themselves, or like the language they're using to describe things. Mm-hmm. And I kind of take that and throw it back, mm-hmm. and we discuss like how true is this? Mm-hmm. You know, this belief you have of yourself, how true is it? Let's see, let's look at your life. Mm-hmm and see how true it is and also and this could be you believe you are maybe more healthy than you really are Mm, or you know or you know there are all kinds of things we can look at um and that's more like um on the level of it's very helpful for depressive episodes Mm. um it's also helpful for anxiety um but also interpersonal problems if Mm. you are experiencing some sort of problem with someone maybe being abused by someone it mm-hmm. can help kind of uncover that mm. based on maybe some, some of the language you're using to describe yourself mm. and we can talk about it um and explore how, what how true mm. that statement is mm. you know um but there's also all kinds of therapies too that mm. um you will kind of use depending mm. on the person um but when you talk about things like mental illnesses mm. there is The level of biology, Mm -hmm. you know, if someone is severely depressed, Mm. then, you know, when you look at their dopamine levels Mm. or serotonin levels, they're Mm -hmm. usually pretty low. Mm. Um, And it's not going to be helpful, always possible Mm. to really use CBT. Mm. You you will sort of therapy. Yeah, you Mm. will need medication Mm. um, to just get your brain on a level where you can receive mm. some of that mm. level. I don't think communication is good mm. on its own. It's not mm. enough. Mm. Um, again, you can take a drug to make yourself feel better, but mm. like all the problems you have in your life are still there. Mm. All the beliefs you've been saying to yourselves are still present. So mm. you need to also work on that. Mm. Um, but again, you know, to get to a level where you can receive it is the, mm. the goal. Mm. So, you know, if we can get the person to the level, um, their brain chemistry is at least stabilized, mm. then we can start venturing into how do you get here? What mm. happened? Mm. What sort of habits mm. in your life were not working? What events mm. led you to this place? And how do we ensure that you have tools or mechanisms or coping mm. mechanisms where you can observe that you're maybe falling into that depression again and mm. then also interrupt that and stop yourself Mm. what things can you do so things like seeking help earlier talking to your friends not isolating yourself sleeping better eating better 
exercising, um, just little um, tools or little things you can do. And I always say, to me, it's more important to kind of weave these little mental health things mm-hmm. within your day every day yeah, instead true. of um, I go to therapy once a week. Mm. Um, it's great. That's true. Yeah, no. but like if you can do things mm. by yourself that you know will rejuvenate you mm. every day throughout because um, I think people treat sometimes mental health as like a, how people look at vacations, you mm. know. I struggle with work, you know, mm. for months and then I have like yeah. You know, occasionally, yeah. you know, yeah. um, instead you're supposed to sort of mm. weave vacation throughout mm. the day, true, if that true, makes true. sense. Mm. Yeah. Or like something that you outsource, you know, mm. it's like I'm going to do nothing about, you know, trying to be a mentally healthy person, mm. but hope that one session, that one session I have a week is like my <laughs> golden pass, you know, to exactly. like great mental well-being. Absolutely. People outsource. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, I'm just going to do nothing. But yeah, I mean, I'm in therapy, you know. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Yeah. And it's like one hour a week. You know, some people do it a few times a week. Mm -hmm. But one hour a week with this person who is not spending the whole day with you. Mm -hmm. Um, So depending on how much work you're doing. In your, your energy level if mm-hmm. you're coming in mm. just to work through things mm. you're coming in mm. open open book and then every time you're not in the session you're doing the work as well mm. you're, what we talked about you you're really putting a lens and looking at your life microscopically mm. and mm. understanding it um if you're not doing that therapy in itself is just mm. not going to exactly yeah and people come to the sessions they're like I have this problem, fix it. Mm. I'm like, it's just not going to work that works. way. Yeah, exactly. I really can't yeah. fix it for you. Yeah, I think the power is in what you do after therapy, actually. Yes. You know, it's like you go to therapy, there is this seed that's planted or an initial awareness that you get. Mm-hmm. But for those things to like change you, you know, you mm-hmm. have to like start, let's say, like noticing your triggers during your day yeah. and like actively respond differently. Exactly. For that to like actually change you know your brain yes and taking in feedback yeah you know like you live in a world and you behave a certain way and you know maybe you believe you mm. believe that you are a certain way but mm. then the environment is telling you no mm. but mm. You, you're not in a place where you can believe you say like okay mm. there's a discrepancy here mm. what i believe and what the world is telling me is not the same thing mm. um so it sort of has to do to be an everyday kind of thing mm. kind of like how you you know, you sleep every day, you eat every day, mm. you, you know, you need those things. You have to think about your mental mm. health like that, too. Mm. It should be part of your everyday. Yeah. Whereas, um, I don't know if you, you know, subscribe to this belief, but like, where is the place for like doing hard things? Um if you stop there it's so funny yeah like doing hard things for your mental well-being right like I Mm. think because I feel like sometimes like you need that resilience as well because depending on how you know people are living their lives I sometimes feel like you can easily start believing that you're helpless that every trigger that comes to you like you just have to like um react to it you know and i feel like 
the daily practice of doing things, for example, that you don't want to do or delaying gratification or fasting or exercising. I feel like those things have so much power in like improving our overall mental well-being. Extreme. Versus the soft life that I think we preach a lot. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? (laughs) You know, like living, uh, people talk about like, Treat yourself. Treat yourself. (laughs) Go to a spa. Okay. Yeah, that uh, kind of thing. That kind of thing. Yeah. You know, like... I, yeah, like yeah. living yours, like living yeah, a read soft a book, life, uh, yeah. you know? Mm. I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts as we close. Like, what do you think is much more effective in the long run? You know, I'm not saying like be miserable and like just live a hard life. Mm. But I think there is room um, for hard things and doing things that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the process of building mental resilience, you mm-hmm. know, so that you're not just at the mercy of your thoughts or at the mercy of your feelings, you know, mm. you know that power that you get, you know, like, oh, I don't want to exercise, but I went and exercised and I felt good. I think over time, I think it builds your, it builds some form of resistance that I don't think you can just get by not doing doing that i don't know if i'm making sense yeah yeah i I mean i think first of all like helplessness is also like another circuit you know like if someone is like oh but like i don't want to exercise because i don't like exercising Mm -hmm. like that's also a belief you have Mm -hmm. that you don't like exercising Mm -hmm. the truth is your body craves it Mm -hmm. um i think doing nothing is not a natural Mm. state of the body the body is built to walk to move Mm -hmm. um putting it in stasis is actually going against it's natural tendencies Mm -hmm. so it's already a belief system that's Mm -hmm. ingrained that's wrong and so you have to unlearn it um and so people will say you know but it feels like i'm pushing myself it will feel that way because again it's a new thing thing, um and that's once you do it enough yeah then it becomes your normal it becomes your normal and doing Mm. nothing monday through sunday is now going to feel good you'll Mm. feel worse Mm. um if you do it um and you want to move to the other direction Mm. um i think it's a yeah there's a lot of um poor language and poor messaging and advice of like Mm. treat yourself you know if you have a day once a week where you just go to a spa Mm. and i don't know Eat, give yourself a treat like ice cream or something I don't know whatever mm. people do mm. um, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong mm. with that I think you should if you have the resources mm. and the time why not mm. a spa feels nice mm. um, however again that's the more like a, almost like the vacation thing yeah. where it's like I'm just gonna be pushing myself through these things and then doing this one thing as mm. like a, you know it's, it should be more like um Eating healthy should be... Yeah, you live in rhythm. You know, you you wake up, you have a rhythm throughout the day, you go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's why I always say the basic things are really Mm -hmm. the more powerful ones. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're eating healthy, your body's going to feel better. If you're sleeping well, your body's going to feel better. Your thinking's going to be better. Um, And then when it comes to thoughts, I think, again, that's why meditation is really important Mm -hmm. because the truth is you're constantly saying things to yourself that are going to affect how you feel mm. about things. You mm. know, you're constantly thinking. Maybe there's a thought of, "Hey, you should start on that task," and then your brain is like, oh, "But you don't feel like it." Oh my God, that was so hard last time we did it. Mm. Or you know, mm. your your brain is just throwing you all kinds of mm. things. And if you're not 
at a stage or a place where you can listen to those thoughts and yeah. understand that they're just thoughts. They're mm-hmm. not you. You are separate from your thoughts. Um, that's when you get things like anxiety as well. Mm. You know, like thoughts come, trigger fears and emotions, and then you identify with them mm. instead of watching them come and go. Mm. Um, there's a level of a, it's almost, I hate to use the word dissociation, but there's a level of a observance that you can do where you can look at yourself outside of yourself. It's kind of meta. Mm, but metaco- metacognition. Yeah. What it is. Yeah. Yeah, but like you can, you can look observe. at your observe. Yeah. And I think what people tend to do then is mm. they tend to resist or fight mm. uh, what, they're what they're observing. You know, they push back, um, and then then you're just in a in a what is it? tug of war kind yeah. of situation or resistance and there's no point you really yeah. can't win uh, your mind is its own thing yeah um, it's just better to watch it and not identify mm. um, is that easy uh, I think it becomes easy yeah, over it time it's just practice like anything else mm. um, and I think once you get to that place it's I don't know mm, yeah. it's, it's, even the good feelings are easier to mm. are more fun or they last longer or, mm. you know you can hold on to things more. Mm. Yeah, so I guess people need different solutions depending on where what their are. situation is yeah. or where, where they are. Yeah. But again, like if you're at home, right, and you haven't been working, yeah. chances are you're not exercising. Chances yeah. are you're sleeping at irregular times. Yeah. Um, and maybe you're sleeping when you're not even tired because, again, mm. maybe just oh, your eyes are tired. But mm. you know, um, And also you're not feeling creative or, mm. um, again... Mm-hmm. also solving the problem it feels mm-hmm. like you're stuck right True. like you're, you have a, a problem mm-hmm. which is maybe i need employment or whatever it is and then instead of engaging in the sort of behaviors mm-hmm. that could help you solve it you're sort of escaping it mm-hmm. by doing easier things or mindless things mm-hmm. um, and i think a lot of the suffering most people experience is mm-hmm. really the lack of solving a problem mm. there's a problem in their lives they mm. just can't solve and they get stuck and then they get resentful and they start escaping and mm. you start building they this feel out of control and helpless unhelpless yeah that's mm. how all of that sits in mm. um so i think if you know if you're aware of a problem that you have it, it could be money it could be you know a job it could be a relationship you do have to engage in behaviors that you think are at least attempts to solve it. Mm. Guess, you know, what sort of thing can I say or do or mm. engage in that could potentially be a solution? And if there's nothing you can do, then I don't know. Acceptance. Acceptance and, you know, staying busy and or mm. shifting focus mm. um, is another one that you could do. Yeah. But again, it depends on what we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think we are done. I don't know if you have any closing hey. words for us. This was a interesting conversation. We've gone into all kinds of interesting directions mm. um, but I've truly really enjoyed this I mean for me I feel like I'm not even done but I just have <laughs> to stop because of the time mm. um, yeah I just think there's a lot to unpack to be honest sometimes I feel like okay maybe you, should, you know it's better to do like a dedicated episode on like childhood trauma and then on addiction and then on yeah. healthier practices but um, I mean I hope that this was very valuable to our audience, I've enjoyed it. I hope you have as well. Mm. Dixon, I don't know if you have any closing words for us. Magic bullets to <laughs> <laughs> transform your mental health in five days. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 
Yeah, you're right. It's it's uh, it's we just talked about all kinds of things. I'm yeah. trying to think of a summary, but yeah. I mean, I would say I thoroughly enjoyed this too. Yeah. I mean, I always love talking about it with you. Yeah. Um, I think you are one of the champions of mental health. You really value Yay. it. You really care. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love talking to you. Mm-hmm. And I think in closing, I would say, you know, treat mental health as a just a a daily routine kind of thing. Mm. I think that's a better way to think of mental health. Mm. Um, and also a more practical way to think about mental health, I guess, is also like problem solving. Yes. Um, I mm. think that's the more practical way to think about mm. it. If you don't want to get lost in the language mm. and the mm. complicated universe of emotions and feelings sure. and traumas and, mm. you know, Science. you can just think of like, it's a problem I'm trying to solve. And mm. um, if you are, again, feel like you are trying to guess the problem or at mm. least attempt to solve it and you know if you keep doing that i promise you you'll probably just be mm. happier as mm. a, a happier person um yeah i don't know no, uh, i'll be happy to come back and yeah, please. talk about other yeah. specific you know parts of mental health yeah. but no we will yeah. we will for sure we yeah. will um but happy mental health month for everyone at everyone yeah is, yeah. That, a, is that a thing no. <laughs> I just made it up. <laughs> Happy mental health. We wish but you well. Wish you well. Wish you well. Yeah. Take great care. Prioritize mm. mental health because it actually does affect the rest of your life. So it's not something Every to be part. neglected. Like Dixon mm. said, the daily habits are powerful. Uh, so something to think about once a week or when you see a therapist. It's in your daily practices and habits. So I hope that landed. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Until next time, take good care. Bye. Bye.